Okay, at this time, Reggie will be coming forward to conduct the Ephesians Bible study, part 7. This is part 7, and it is living our calling, and uh, it's a whole lot easier said than done, uh, particularly for the ancient Ephesians. Don't know if you uh, are familiar with them or not, but I'd like to give you a little bit of background on them as well. I can get the, I sent a uh, PowerPoint to Brian. He said there's some difficulty with the transmission, but we'll see what happens. Okay. There we go. Okay. This is the background for Ephesians. Uh, I've got a couple of maps up here for you so you can follow along with me. See if I can. Where's my, where's my pointer? There he is. Okay. This one is a general map of the area. So here, of course, is uh, Israel uh, or Judea and Jerusalem here. Give you some idea of where we are. Here's Antioch where Paul left. Here's the area that he was preaching in. If we zoom into this little area here, we get to see the seven churches that are listed in Revelation. And here is Ephesus here. Ephesus turns out to be the major church in the whole area. All the rest of them were effectively daughter churches. So they sprung up as offshoots out of Ephesus. And that's important because um, Ephesus was also the site of the major, major goddess in the area. At that time, the, Diana, uh, the Romans knew her as Diana. The Greeks knew her as Artemis. Uh, she was the um, earth mother, effectively. And uh, all of this was in it. Now, um, this is the amphitheater. Come on. There we go. This is the amphitheater that's there at the end of the road. Here's the road that leads from the harbor up to, to it. And let's see if I can make the rest of this. I'm going to go through all of this in a hurry so we can see it. Uh, this is a current Google map of uh, uh, Google Earth map for Ephesus, which is today Ismar, Turkey. So if you want to know, it's not listed as Ephesus. Ephesus is like a little village within the area here. So um, the, here, let's see, this whole area is known as Ismir, Turkey, and Ephesus is there. Okay? All right. This is more the ancient times so we can get a perspective on things. Here's that road I was just showing you that leads up to the amphitheater. Here's the amphitheater itself. And back here is the temple of uh, Diana that I mentioned. Now, I mentioned this uh, well, uh, because uh, the, the, the city of Ephesus was a great harbor. It was a um, mercantile city, a city of commerce at the time. So it had a lot of international trade going in and out of it its way. And uh, had, it was known for its very, very deep harbor. And the harbor uh, then... Uh, the first thing you see as you enter the harbor is this big old temple of Diana. The last thing you see as you leave the harbor is big old temple of Diana. So that was a very, very strong influence. This is why living our calling, as we're talking about here today, was so much more difficult for the ancient Ephesians. This is the, uh, the picture, artist's rendition of the temple of Diana. And uh, the temple was... Come on. 
Okay, the temple was one of the seven ancient wonders of the world. As I said, it was the, the center of Artemis and Diana worship. Artemis was the Greek name. Diana was the Roman name. Was actually here. Um, okay, here's pictures of her. This is the artist con concept of. Oops, what happened there? Leave it to technology to mess. Okay. There we go. There we go. All right. So this was the, the Im traditional image of Diana as the queen of heaven. And you see the moon be effectively becomes her bow as the huntress. She's known as the huntress. And uh, the deer and the, and the uh, hound are her animals. This is a picture of what the mother goddess looks like. And it's obvious why she's called the mother goddess. Okay, these are the temples of Diana. These, uh, on the left-hand side here, we see the modern ruins of the Temple of Diana, and these are artists' renderings of what the temple would have looked like in antiquity. Okay. So that's what they were up against. All right, so let's get into our uh, scripture uh, reading here. Um, someone read the opening passage for me. Who would like to read the opening passage? And from their book, this is on page 37. Yes. All right. John. If you buy a new car, what's the first thing you do? Do you sit down for an hour and read through the manual to make sure you know everything about every little detail about it before you take it on the road? Or do you at once get behind the wheel and go for a drive, enjoying all the things the car can do and not worrying about the details, at least for the moment? In the same way, it's notorious that when people buy a new computer, they tend to operate it at first and read the instruction manual afterward. The trouble is, of course, that things go wrong with machinery. They may go wrong even quicker if you don't read the instructions, but most people will at least keep the instruction book handy and refer to it from time to time to see how the machine was meant to behave. What the fundamental instructions were and what needs to be done to ensure that it maintains and retains a maximum efficiency. So, when um, you buy something that comes with instructions, do you read the instructions? Why or why not? Most guys don't. <laughs> Anyone comments on this one? Yes. Okay, Mark. Yeah, simply because usually if I don't, I'll mess it up. <laughs> it depends on how long the manual is and how much I need it. Yeah, that's my answer as well. It depends on the on the what I'm preparing for. Like, for example, I bought a new mixer here the other day. I don't really need to read the instructions. Anyone else? Okay, let's move ahead then. Um, read Ephesians 4, 1 through... Oh, before I get into that one. Ephesians is such a major church that it's mentioned several times throughout Scripture. But there are two passages I wanted to draw your attention to. Um, that are not in our uh, study proper, but you might want to be, be aware of it because of, again, because it's uh, 
talking about that. All right. uh, first, this is Acts 19, verses 24 to 27. For a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made uh, shrines for uh, Diana, brought no small profit to the craftsmen. He called them together with the workers of similar occupation and said, Men, you know what we have our, uh, our prosperity by this trade. Moreover, you see and hear that not only at Ephesus, but throughout almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away many people, saying that they are not gods which are made with hands. So not only is, his trade, is this trade of ours in danger of failing, falling into uh, disrepute, but also the temple of the great goddess Diana uh, may be despised and her magnificence destroyed, whom all, the, uh, all Asia and the world worship. And then down a little bit further, Acts 19, 34 and 37. But when they found that he was a Jew, all with one voice cried out for almost two hours, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. And when the city clerk, uh, you know, when the city clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, Men of Ephesus, what man is there who does not know that the city of Ephesus is the temple guardian of the great goddess Diana and of the image um, which fell... Uh, fell down from Zeus, and you just saw the statue a, a moment ago. Therefore, since these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rashly, for you have brought these men uh, here who are neither robbers of the temple nor blasphemers of your goddess. Effectively, the, the craftsmen who were making all the little teraphim and uh, the local god, god idols and things of that nature were getting worried. Because Paul was going around teaching the idols were nothing, and they were in jeopardy of losing their livelihood. Okay, so that's what was happening. The other passage that uh, um, where Ephesus is mentioned is in Revelation 2, and this is in the letters to the churches. And the main thing I want you to note here uh, is they go through basically how they... Uh, Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you left your first love. They are legalists, effectively, and have lost the passion of the first one. Uh, but they do do something else, which is, uh, but this, uh, this you have, that you hate these and the Nicolaitans, uh, which I also hate. I was planning to give a message uh, two weeks ago on who are the Nicolaitans, but it got um, <clears throat> snowed out. Okay. The study here's first. All right, read. Uh, someone read uh, first verses one through six of Ephesians four for me, please. Anyone who have a this is the easy part. Just reading. You don't have to make comments or reveal anything about yourself. Anyone? Okay. Okay. Um. Okay, verse 1. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all 
and in you all. There's a word up here I want you to pay attention to. Matt's message is all about this in the, se in the second uh, portion of our uh, service today. All about patience. The, the King James Version for that is long-suffering. Okay, so here's your question. How can we uh, bear with one another in love, as it says in verse 2? And there's verse 2 for you if you don't have it handy. Responses? How do we bear with one another in love? Uh, <clears throat> one way is to recognize one's uh, level of understanding. We have babes in Christ met, met, mixed in with those of a high maturity level. And we need to be considerate of one's knowledge or lack of knowledge and realize that that, that deals with their behavior and, and what they do and how they do it. And so that needs to be taken into consideration. Okay. Anyone else? Other comments? Friend? Just by reading 1 Corinthians 13, that's the love chapter, and that's what we're supposed to do. Many different facets of love, yes. What's the most obvious one right here in this verse? I just mentioned long-suffering. Again, that's the old English, uh, uh, King James or English version of what we would call today patience. Patience. Be patient with one another. Okay, how about question three? Describe the unity that God has given us uh, with other believers uh, locally or around the world, even when we have differences with them. This is from verses three to six. What kind of unity do we have with other believers? Oh, Barnabas? Oh. I think the oneness that uh, every church has is their belief in Jesus Christ. Okay, Mark? And then um, certainly with the, the churches of God, we all have the those of us that are uh, baptized are you know, blessed with the Holy Spirit, the mind of God, you know, in, in a way living in us. Um, but we also um, also need to have a Christ-like -like attitude toward it all. Uh, let me add to that uh, the scripture that most every church has agreement in is John 3.16. Yes. Back to the previous question, how do we bear with one another in love? You know, it's kind of related to that, that question that we're going over right now about you know, we might have differences, we might have some doctrinal differences here and there, some small, you know, uh, non-essential doctrinal differences, but you know, Christ said that they will know you by your love. I mean, the love that I bestowed upon you is the love that you're going to demonstrate to each other, and they'll they'll see that 
And so that love of Christ ultimately uh, is supposed to be coming through us. And so there's a unity uh, between all believers, and that is that unity of the love of Christ that's supposed to be pouring out. It doesn't mean that we manifest it all the time. Obviously, there's weaknesses, but definitely would say that the love of Christ is something that all Christians across the world, regardless if they have some differences on some doctrinal things, they're supposed to be demonstrating and it's supposed to be manifested. At these uh, passages, I've got um, I've got three through six here on the board for us. Um, emphasis here is the, the unity of the spirit, the bond of peace, one body, one spirit, the hope hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father who is above us all. So the one thing that unites us is this unified belief in God as a supreme being, master creator, sustainer of the universe. Okay? Um, I see verse uh, question four. What threatens unity in your Christian community? Yes, Curtis. I think that this this can be answered in many different ways, but there's a lot of different things that can threaten unity in a Christian body or in a Christian congregation, but I think that pride is one of the big factors that oftentimes will split churches. And what I mean by that is is that whether it be pride, where the focus is not on the love of Christ, the unity of Christ, the glorification of Christ and the Father in heaven, but rather the focus shifts to this is the way I want to do things. I want my way this way. We need to do it this way. And then people start arguing about how they should do certain things. And so they get preoccupied with that. And that becomes their focus instead of on the glorifying Christ. I think that that is a big factor in driving a wedge and division within church. A Christian body. Glad you met. All right, friend. Paul, Paul talked about that by, uh, by saying, I'm of Apollos, you know, picking a minister and saying, well, this is the minister that has it all. We need to just follow those who follow Christ. I'm, uh, Curtis, I'm glad you mentioned divisions because that's what's the opposite of unity. It splits, and it becomes then, uh, if people follow ministers, it becomes then a cult of personality more so than a unified body. Anyone else? Okay. Uh, our next question. What? Oh, I'm sorry. John? No, I was just going to mention uh, being selfish and not having long-suffering as well and not looking to see what you can do to help your fellow brethren. Yes, Arbus? I think ideologies can also separate, cause uh, disunity in a church. Anyone else? The same thing that that separates uh, may cause disunity here 
It's what causes disunity throughout our nation right now. Politics and the, and the disputes between them, left and right, and the right and wrong. And yeah. Is it possibly both right and wrong at the same time? Yeah. Uh, how can we maintain and guard this unity we have with other believers? How can we guard the unity that we do have? Yes, friend? Stay on the basics of, the, of our beliefs and just follow that. Good. Keith? Yeah, it's... I think it's the same thing Fran's saying. Look for common ground um, because there's a lot of common ground that is, like you said, the basics that have to do with the love and the Father and the Son and what he tells us to do. Sarah? If you have really, I think it's important to keep relationships with people because if you have relationships with, with people that you, and you care about these people and you, you're spending time and you're maintaining that deep relationship, you're more apt to get along with that person. You're more apt to have an investment in that relationship to do things to try to keep it. Anyone else? Okay. Well, something to add to this and the question about, I mean, obviously there's many different things. Like we can talk about, you know, the things that we just talked about, what divides Christian communities, whether it be pride, it be ide ideology. Um, I think that if we guard against trying to marry the gospel to a false gospel, like for example, marrying the gospel of our Bible, of God's word, to a political ideology, and as, and as if that's one and the same, and everyone who disagrees with that is not a part of the gospel. And therefore, you're transforming the true gospel that's focused on Christ, the glorification of, you know, his glory, bringing his glory to this world, which ultimately a big part of that, a big part of glorifying God goes back to the love question the love that we demonstrate to each other and our fellow human beings, when we start to do these other things, marry the gospel to other things, and start focusing on those, I think that's where we get off track, and I think that's where it starts to, to create the divisions, the schism, so to speak. And so I think a big part of guarding against, uh, you know, having disunity and making sure that we maintain unity is focusing on that the heart of the gospel Christ died for our sins that he rose from the dead so he could bring with us so we could be a part of the kingdom of God it's the, it's the two sides of the coin and just focusing on that and so I think that's you know the big, a big way that we can guard against disunity within the church have you noticed here in the last so couple of decades or so that um, there's been the emergence of what they call community churches. These community churches don't really, they're not Baptists, they're not um, Methodists, they're not uh, any particular religion. They're in a, a blend of um, religions in a, a community just designed to 
satisfy the people who go there. Have you noticed that? How much unity can you have if you've got this kind of disparity in the congregation? Instead, it becomes just a, an amalgam of religious ideas. They call that religious syncretism, by the way. Anyone else? Okay. Questions? Uh, this is the next passage, please. This is the easy part. Someone just read the passage. It may be hard for Christians today to grasp just how central this unity was to Paul's vision of the church. We have grown accustomed to many divisions within the worldwide church. Sometimes customs and practices have grown up in churches which are so different that members of one have difficulty recognizing members of another. As fellow Christians, sometimes indeed the boundaries are blurred and it may be possible for a church to wander off course so much that it claims to be loyal to Jesus. Christ is seriously called into question. But whatever position we take today, the one thing we can't do is pretend that this isn't a central and vital issue. Unless we are working to maintain, defend, and develop that unity we already enjoy and to overcome, demolish and put behind us the disunity we still find ourselves in. We can scarcely claim to be following Paul's teaching. All right, so question six. Uh, what is the single hope that goes with our cause? This is verses four through six. Okay. All right. Yeah, um, and to tie into that, that passage that Sean read too, I've, I've, I may have told this story before about how um, my parents were both uh, Roman Catholics growing up in Ireland and how in the late 60s, early 70s, my dad first started, he left the Catholic Church and started going to the Worldwide Church of God and, uh, and shortly after my mom started going and my grandfather, my mom's dad never forgave my dad for taking her away from the Catholic Church as he said. And when you look at it, I mean, it's, it's, well, the Catholic Church <clears throat> is supposed to be a Christian church. It was going to different, different you know, uh, Catholic to Protestant, but it, he never would forgive my dad for that, held that grudge. And so to have one body, one spirit is so important in our church and between each other. Um, and he definitely... Um, lacked that and and had a big, big big issue with my dad for the rest of his life for the next 30 years until he died nothing's more divisive than the truth anyone else all right um, at every moment, in every decision, with every word and action, Christians are to be aware that the, the, that the call to follow Jesus, the Messiah, and to give him their complete loyalty takes precedence over everything else. So now let's read Ephesians 4, verses 7 through 16. 
Ephesians 4, 7 through 16. Who do I have to read that? Okay. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this he ascended, what does it mean but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who has descended is also the one who ascended far above all heaven, the heavens that he might fill all things. And he, gave him, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. How far am I reading? Sixteen. Sixteen, okay. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, and for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head Christ from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. And it's that last verse that is the motive behind it, which is key. Okay. Um, let's see. What is this diversity that we're talking about here? What is this diversity that Paul is referring to? It's a diversity of gifts, spiritual uh, things that uh, every one of us has in some capacity or ability or another to serve uh, God and to serve the church. If the unity comes from one hope, one faith, one baptism, one Lord above all, then the diversity must come from somewhere else. And as Barbara's mentioned, probably our gifts. Anyone else? Other comments? Okay. This is verse 7 and verse 11. Um, but to each of us, grace was given according to the measure. That's important. According to the measure of Christ's gift. And verse 11, and he gave him, he gave him, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. All those are different gifts or roles, I guess we should say. Okay, question eight then. Um, why does God give some believers the particular leadership gifts mentioned in verses 11 and 12? Why do some people get some gifts and other people get other gifts? Let me go back to the previous two verses that I just mentioned, 7 and 11. Answers hidden in there. Hint, hint. You want the answers? The answers are hidden in there. Yes. 
Oh, okay. All right, Ken. Mr. Barton. Because we all have different jobs to do, there has to be diversity. We can't all be doing one thing. Right. for the edifying of the body of Christ. We all can't do the same job. We have to play to our strengths. One of the biggest mistakes our education system is making today is we're trying to make generalists of everyone. No. Okay, uh, Matthew? Oh, David. Well, for one reason, uh, God said so. You know, there's scriptures, a couple places, you know, uh, one asking a potter, why have you made me such, you know, why have you done this, why have you done that? And, uh, of course, in the New Testament, we realize that God put all the parts in the body to suit himself, you know, or in the church. And uh, we all need arms, we all need legs, we all need eyes. Everybody knows all of that. And it's God's judgment to why he put us where he put us. I'm very fortunate, I mean, I'm very thankful that I have a part of whatever I am, that God has just allowed me to be a part of it, and I think most of us are the same way. Uh, sometimes it takes a while to find out what our part is, but uh, we're, we are here, and, uh, uh, you know, we have learned to appreciate the others that have the gifts that we don't because many of you have gifts that I don't have, and I have a few gifts that maybe some don't have. But, but anyway, I, I uh, praise God for his wisdom of putting us where he's put us, and thank God. I just think of like an orchestra. You have your conductor, you have your wind section, you have the... Um, percussion and all of it he directs and people follow where they're supposed to if it would it'd be a big jumbled mess if everybody came in all at the same time and mm -hmm. it's all for a purpose the way it's set up having a large family we, we have my wife and I have 11 kids oh. we've seen the variety of giftings you know even in a family if you look at the family dynamics and to try to uh, put each one child in the same category with the other children in the family was would we've tried it at times and it was just a big mistake. So you started trying to allow them to flow in their giftings, which sometimes would bring about some rebellion, bring about some uh, chaos at times. But that was all them figuring out what their callings were and their giftings because they're trying to figure it out just like all of us. And so I think that's part of this whole thing is the diversity is because God's so diverse and he wants us to, to flow like he does and to be willing. I think even one person sometimes, like with our kids, I had sometimes I had to be a real good listener. Other times I had to be real strict and put my hand down and there was just things you had to do different and bring out different gifts even in one person. So I think, I think all of us have probably giftings that we don't even maybe know about just yet. But uh, if we would search our hearts, I think a little deeper and a little harder and uh, be willing to take a chance, we could probably figure out that we have more giftings that God wants to use in us. So. 
We come together for the mutual benefit of both parties. When we join the congregation, we bring things to the congregation, and the congregation brings things to us. We, ben we both benefit that way. Anyone else? Okay. Uh, someone read the passage here. Okay. The list of offices in verse 11 is not exhaustive. Elsewhere, Paul adds others. But these five were crucial to the establishment of the first generation of the church. Apostles were witnesses to the resurrection. Since the resurrection is the foundation of the church, the testimony of those who had seen the risen Jesus was the first Christian preaching. Early Christians, early Christian prophets spoke in the name of the Lord guiding and directing the church, especially in the time before the New Testament was written. Evangelists announced to the surprised world that the crucified Jesus was risen from the dead and was both Israel's Messiah and the world's true Lord. Pastors looked after the young churches. Teachers developed and trained their understanding. They did this not least by setting out the many ways in which Believers, allegiance, believing allegiance to Jesus linked Christians into the whole story and life of Israel, building on the promise of the Old Testament. Uh, it's not the particular gifts that matters. It's using the gift that's important. What are the results of using the ministerial gifts that God gives to each of us? This is verses 13 through 16. He says we'll find the answer. This is like in the textbook at school where they give you the reference page so we can find the answer. The question was, uh, it's not the particular gift that matters. It's using the gift that's uh, important. What are the results of using the ministerial gift that God gives to us? Well, in today's society, us doing, getting the word out to God helps to bring new people into our church to help us to grow. I have that we are no longer tricked by man, but mature in Christ, that we all work together as the body of Christ, edifying others. Having the gift is one thing, but if you never use it, what good is it? What's the adage? Like putting your light under a bushel? 
Uh, no one sees what it is? Yes. Go ahead. The work analogy. Basically, when I started at my job, I didn't know anything. Once they found out what I could do, they kept putting responsibilities on me. It built me to be more confident, and I became part of the unit a lot better. And I can see the church being the same way, where God sets someone in a place and then starts allowing that talent or gift to grow, and you know, supervised, of course, you know, if need be. And then we just get more confident. We become more like God, too. We grow up. Next question is 10. Based on the images that Paul used in verse 14, uh, what seem to have been the main obstacles to his readers' faith in Jesus? Verse 14 says that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cr cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. So what kind of problems can we infer from uh, this statement. And it goes back to the environment in which they were living, like what I showed you at the beginning, for example. Uh, from my own experience, um, it's very easy for um, those that are teaching, um, and especially if they're receiving a lot of money for their teaching, um, to begin to pervert that truth into to, to a fable, to a lie, and we have seen it happen many times in destroying various, not just the organization, but individuals. I, it's, it's very destructive, and one of the things that uh, you know God hates is uh, division among brethren. When you bring those in, you start dividing brethren, and so it's always uh, important that we um, are very careful what we preach, what we teach, and not bringing that kind of stuff into the congregation. A lack of being anchored in, in, in the faith. I mean, obviously, competing philosophies, ideologies, and and when you're not anchored, you're not able to see the truth, and and you're enticed this way and that way, and so that's I think a big obstacle with this church. Important to be well grounded. It says here, for example, whoops, what happened? Okay. No problem. What is it? Okay, here we go. Uh, we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness and deceitful plotting. Yes. 
was going to mention you were talking about the area they lived in. Obviously, it was a hub of different philosophies coming in and out of the the area, uh -huh. and with the uh, the religious connotations of Diana. But yeah, so they had all kinds of winds of doctrine that they had to fight. And so just like really, not really much different than us here in America, though, we've become uh, a country that says we need to accept every religious belief and, and ideolo ideology. So we're not much different probably than Ephesus at the time because there's a lot of different, and even in the Christian faith, different doctrines of uh, belief that we have to, but Paul was fighting definitely a lot uh, with the new gospel. It was new to that area, new, brand new to all the people there that he was preaching to. So, Yeah, as a mercantile city, it would have been exposed to all sorts of doctrines from the people that came ashore and visited the city and things like this. And, you know, they go to, if they want to go to synagogue or church or whatever it may be, they're going to bring in those ideas with them. Yes, harvest. The aim of uh, preaching and teaching is to teach the truth. And as it says in Proverbs, to train up a child in the way that he should go, that when he's older he will not depart from it. So in the same manner, uh, hearing the gospel, the good news, and the truth of, of Christ is to be established and no longer a child. And hopefully this will we can internalize those things we hear and not depart from the faith. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> the wind of doctrine, I think, is rather interesting here. A few years ago, we had some people, the, the, the sacred name uh, philosophies came out, for example. We had um, um, uh, some people came in and actually claimed to be apostles. And thankfully, Lawrence was able to show them the door and get rid of them. So we don't need that kind of conflict and misunderstanding going on. So trickery of men. How much is deceit? And they have their own agenda and try to put forward that along the way. Okay, uh, next question. Um, <clears throat> uh, where does your church need to grow toward maturity? Where does your church need to grow toward maturity? What can we do to mature? Keyword here is growth. Anyone? Okay. Hard? View things as Jesus views them. someone has a talent but he's never given a chance to develop that talent a light under a bushel does that suggest the way we could help people to grow suggest the way that we would have the church to grow yes Curtis it's very simple but identify your gift and use it I mean, that's, it's, don't want everyone to liken the church to a business or an organization. Uh, 
want to do, you know, I'll use this analogy just for understanding, but we have an organization, a school, a business. There's different roles. And it just goes back to what we were talking about. Everyone's got to do the job that they were, you know, given stewardship over. In the church, it's a little bit more difficult because it's not always just super simple. Sometimes it takes time to learn what your gift is. But I think that the full functionality of the church is when everyone realizes their gifts and they utilize them. Steve? Just one point here. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. And I think as long as we're, especially those of us that are um, bringing Bible studies and messages and whatever, as long as we're, we've outlined that those words down there that says to the measure and fullness of the stature of Jesus Christ and as long as we're bringing that out and continue to you know try to to help people to understand that it's the important part of all of our lives is to grow in Christ to understand his more and more um, how he lived why he wants us to live like him um, why we are to grow in understanding um, his life and, and, and his sacrifice, the resurrection, his, his um, position he is today, where he sits at the right hand of the Father, all of those things um, should help us t- to mature in, in the church as we grow in that, that knowledge. Along with uh, what Steve was commenting about, um, um, it takes encouragement and it takes edifying to see if someone has a gift that can be utilized and if someone has a gift of uh, music that person uh, it would be good to encourage them or to edify them in some way so that they can uh, realize those gifts and sometimes people are just shy and they just need uh, encouragement Gifts can't grow unless they're given opportunity and encouragement. That's okay. Um, this comes on. Here we go. Um, <clears throat> to what Barnabas and Steve said um, is if we do what we're supposed to from the Great Commission and, and preach the gospel and preach the truth week in, week out, hopefully God will do the calling and open the minds and bring people to us and then also with our online service, that is a tremendous, tremendous help. Um, um, getting that out to the world, and hopefully calling more people to, or getting more people to watch us online, and uh, that will really definitely help the, uh, the work of the church. All right, last question then. Uh, how can you use the gifts that God has given you to enable this to take place? How can we use the, uh, the gifts that God has given us to enable this growth to take place? Art? First, you have to recognize that you have the gift and then you can't be fearful about stepping out and using that gift. It takes courage, doesn't it? 
be willing to take a risk to step out of your comfort zone. Along with encouragement, perhaps an assignment that would be along that person's uh, character and gift. Any final comments, anyone? Yes. Rob. I'm going to say have patience with people that don't understand God's truth when you speak in truth and love. Like yesterday, one of my cashiers heard me say I don't eat pork. And she said, well, I have a question. She said, if you don't mind me asking. I was like, what? She said, I, I heard you say you don't eat pork. What religion are you? I explained, I'm Church of God. And she said, are you Jewish? I said, no, honey. I said, we live biblically. I said, and don't ever be afraid to ask a question I'm always happy to answer anything you may want to know I said that's how we learn so the patience and of the not under, understanding but when you put it out there in a way that the love and understandings there they seem to be more willing to come to you and ask questions close out our study today and with a prayer. Please bow your head. Dear Lord, Father in heaven, creator, sustainer, maintainer of this universe, we thank you for this opportunity to come together to study the words that you have preserved here from Paul to the Ephesians, the people of great trials and great problems that they managed to overcome. That gives us the encouragement that we might also over, overcome uh, and to utilize the, the gifts that we have take advantage of the opportunities that we have so that we may grow become a stronger building a stronger temple for you now we ask, we uh, turn this back over we ask that you um, continue to bless us and continue uh, uh, with your presence among us as we grow in your spirit these things that we ask in the name of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.